This is week three of our exploration of the mundane, the sacred, and the profane, which means that I drew the short straw. Because <laughs> today we get to talk about the profane. Dun, dun, dun. And boy, I feel myself wanting to avoid this topic because it's hard to talk about. And also, I feel like I'm getting robbed a little bit because isn't this the talk where I actually get to use profanity? Hmm. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Now, that word profane, it's defined in the dictionary as describing that which is not considered to be sacred. And I find that definition challenging because in our science of mind teaching, what I've learned is that quite literally everything is sacred. Now, why is that? Well, in science of mind, we learn that the divine, God, spirit, whatever we choose to call this force for good, it truly is everything. It is the source from which everything comes. And therefore, we are all part of that. So everything must be an expression of the divine. And that makes that definition hard for me because I don't want the ugly things that I see in the world to be part of the sacred divine. I don't want them to be part of God. But the reality for me is that if I believe that God is all that there is, then everything that I am experiencing must be a part of God. Even those things that I would rather not look at. Everything that's happening, even the ugly things, it's all happening within this divine one. And boy... That makes my insides twist up into a little ball because I don't know what to do with it. It's hard. I almost feel like this is the talk we should have had last month when we were talking about paradox because it's almost like there's these competing truths. Now, the good news is the dictionary has more than one definition for that word profane. See, I was talking about the adjective profane, and if I put on my English major hat and I go to the verb profane, the profane as a verb tells us that to profane is to treat something that is sacred as though it is not. Mmm, the light bulb just turned on, didn't it? This definition invites me to consider where in my life Am I treating something as not sacred? Where am I making something outside of myself, something other than myself? Where am I believing that some aspect of my life, some aspect of the world that I see is not sacred in the sense that this divine one is sacred? So the easy example for me to go to is politics. Because after all, in our current political atmosphere, at least here in the United States, well, kind of feels like each side is treating the other one as though they are the 100% embodiment of all that is profane. Mm. And sometimes I find it really hard to see the sacred when I see that people engage in hatred and bigotry and violence, especially when I see those who have been granted power try to institutionalize 
that hatred and that violence and that bigotry. Now, I want to be clear, that's not okay. We don't get a world that works for everyone by institutionalizing those things. Just because there's an opportunity for me to recognize the sacred in those with whom I vehemently disagree doesn't mean that I have to give a pass for behavior that is not working towards a world that works for everyone. I don't think it's possible to have a world that works for everyone with hatred and bigotry and violence. Do you? No. What I know, though, is that even though so many parts of my mind want to fight me on this, is that I'm probably not going to be able to heal the hatred and the bigotry and the violence of the world if I am making those who I see perpetuating it my enemy. If I see them only as the profane. I know that when I make someone my enemy, and it happens, it happens in my mind, well, I'm cutting those people off from my heart. That heart that's within me, that is that expression of the divine, that is compassionate and caring and courageous and loving. That heart that is that divine one within me that I know can bring about an atmosphere of healing and connection. I have to recognize within me that even though it's really, really hard to do this, the more I can find ways to hold in my heart those who are the hardest for me to love, the more I open myself to connect and to find a path forward because it's that connection and only connection in my belief that makes it possible for me to move from the profane to the sacred. So I'm a member of the um, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for Center for Spiritual Living. And the work that we do is focused on helping to make a world that works for everyone by creating safe and inclusive venues, um, often through webinars that we do on Zoom, to discuss what are often very challenging topics. And one of the things that often comes up when we're meeting internally that we've talked about is how important it is for us as committee members and as, as leaders of this DEI movement within the larger realm of Centers for Spiritual Living is that it's so important that we are able to see the sacred in everyone, including those who we may feel like are speaking from a place of ignorance or hatred or bigotry. And we have to remind ourselves to be wary of when our mind wants to make profane those who we disagree with. Now, I've seen this play out in some interesting ways on some of these meetings, um, these webinars, where sometimes I'll see a well-meaning person who really wants to educate, who wants to correct someone who might have stumbled, who might have said something in a way that could be considered offensive or not inclusive. And sometimes I see the delivery of that correction is perhaps not as, um, I guess, elegant is the word that I would use. Sometimes it could be downright combative 
And what I witness when that happens is that the person who's on the receiving end, they start to shut down. They actually don't open up to what may be, you know, something that's correct that's being shared with them. Instead, they go into their defenses and they become less likely to consider a more inclusive way of being. And what this teaches me when I witness that is that it's so important for me to make an authentic connection before I start to share my idea. For me to check in with myself and to see, am I putting this person who might have stumbled in the way that they're showing up in the world, am I putting them outside of my heart? Because if I approach them that way, well, I don't know about you, but I can feel when someone else has put me outside of their heart and they're talking to me that way. Has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah. If I don't make that connection, it doesn't matter what I say because the way that I say it is what matters more. It's the difference between being an authentic dialogue with somebody from a place of compassion and curiosity and open-heartedness instead of just simply talking at a person and expecting that they're going to get it. Let me tell you, preaching's easy, but it's not that effective. I realize the irony of saying that as I'm up here giving a Sunday talk. <laughs> Conversation, on the other hand, dialogue requires me to not just see the spark of the sacred in the person that I'm speaking with, but I also have to see that spark of the sacred within myself. Because to really be an authentic dialogue means that I have to let my defenses down. I have to become vulnerable. And if I don't see the sacred within me, that gets to be really hard and scary. Now, there's a reason why I think this type of dialogue, and this is, this is my observation, perhaps you have seen this too, that this type of dialogue has become really challenging in our current social atmosphere. And that's because it seems to me that we as a society have forgotten what authentic, vulnerable dialogue really looks like, what it feels like how to embrace it. Now, you, you, those of you who've seen me speak before, you know I'm a nerd. <laughs> I did give a talk all about space last month. <laughs> I'm also a philosophy nerd. And there is a very obscure French philosopher named Guy Debord who I have been obsessed with this year. <laughs> And, you know, in the middle of the 20th century, he wrote an essay that was a series of theses, and a thesis is just a, a very concise statement of truth, called The Society of the Spectacle. It's such a great name. And what he was writing about is this huge problem that he saw in the world, emerging in the world. And this was the time when television was becoming a thing. It was becoming mainstream. And what he was noticing is that rather than people interacting with one another directly as we had as human beings for thousands of years, he saw that instead, modern society started to interact through images, 
pictures, through representations as opposed to reality. So think of every time that you see an ad on TV or on the internet or on a billboard as you're driving down the highway. Can that ad ever tell you anywhere near the full truth about the product that they're trying to sell you? Sometimes it almost seems like it's the opposite of the truth, right? <laughs> I remember um, I had this uh, mass media course that I took when I was in high school, and the teacher taught us this term for this, um, for some of the things that we would see in advertising. It's called glittering generalities. <laughs> Little one-line pithy statements that have zero meaning to them that are designed to evoke an emotional response. And how often do we see that in the world? On a box of, you know, Cheerios, on a, on a, you know, billboard, on TV, on the internet, all of these generalities that are trying to represent something to us without actually being real. You see where the problem might start to come in, yeah? At I do. I hope you do. I think this is why I like and why I, th I think we do in Sonoma County, because I see so many, why we love craft fairs so much. Because in a craft fair, we actually get to meet the person who made the thing. We get to talk to them. We can see their passion and their creativity. It's not this thing that's way out there that's divorced from us. We can interact with them. It's hard to have a conversation with an image, isn't it? I mean, I've tried. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> it's because these images that we've been using to mediate our life, to relate to one another, are inherently one-sided. So another image that you can put in your mind, if you go back to this example of politics, um, I feel like I saw an image of this, but I couldn't find it to give you a slide, but I remember... Um, during one of the many process, protests that we've had in the past 10 years or so, that there is an image of these two sides, protesters and counter-protesters. And you can see that they're both screaming at each other. They're both holding signs with each of their own slogans, glittering generalities. But when I look at that, I think to myself, is anything actually being solved? I like things that are effective, and that didn't seem super effective to me because they're talking at each other instead of with each other. And that's what I see with politics. I don't often see that conversation happening. I only see talking point A and talking point B, and here's what they do. Ooh, they just keep going by each other. <laughs> just like that, ships passing in the night, not actually coming together and figuring things out. Often, I only see politicians and leaders who are more apt to focus on selling the image of change rather than change itself. Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Green Party, Libertarians, it doesn't matter who's sharing the image. It's still only an image. And I don't know about you, but I've never once seen an image that actually changes the world. It's because what I've found is that the only thing that can change the world is people. We have to be the ones who make the change. 
what Guy Debord is inviting us to consider is moving beyond these images, these simple talking points, to very real and authentic dialogue. The same dialogue that for 10,000 years has allowed our species, humanity, to grow and to expand and become the incredible creative force that's at the core of our being. What he's telling us is that to truly embrace the sacred, to release what he considered to be this profane fixation on images, simply for the sake of images, that we have to find our way back to a more direct experience of life. To truly embrace the sacred is to live fully, authentically, by being in direct relationship with the world, including with all of those scary challenges. So what I've learned from that is that I find a lot more meaning in my life when I go out for a hike in nature rather than watching a documentary about nature on Netflix. (laughs) I find more creativity expressed when I think about supporting the actual science and engineering behind space exploration rather than just playing a video game about space. I find that rather than just talking about the ideal of peace, I'm invited to do whatever I can to work toward peace. To embrace peace as a way of being, including making space in my heart for those who seem opposed to peace. In a sense, what I continue to learn is that it's not enough for me to just read the self-help book. I actually have to do the exercises at the end of the chapter. (laughs) Am I the only one who skips the exercises? (laughs) It's hard. It's challenging. But it's so worth it because I notice that the more I make an effort to move beyond simply paying lip service to the values that I know are within my heart of hearts, the more I try to be in actual relationship with the world and the people within it, the more rewarding my life becomes. And the more I actually see concrete change in the world. I saw an example of that just this last Wednesday with the community potluck that Mitzi Hughes and I put on here for, our, for all of you, for our wonderful community. I saw people talking to each other. I saw people in dialogue with each other. That was so beautiful to witness. And I heard from everyone who was there that night how grateful they were to have that opportunity No Netflix was needed. (laughs) No images. There was actual connection there, and that was pretty fantastic to see. So this is what it means for me to move from the profane to the sacred. And I invite you to consider that for yourself now. If you want to turn within, if you like, you can close your eyes or allow your gaze to lower And ask your heart, are there any parts of life, any people that I see as profane? 
And if you do see something come up, then ask yourself, how might I find just a little bit of the sacred within them? Even though it might feel hard. And now we get to take it a step further. Ask yourself, what one very easy action, what simple first step can I take to bring just a little bit more of this feeling of the sacred into that which I see as profane? Make it something so easy that there's absolutely no excuse for you to not take this step once you walk out of our sanctuary today, once you log off of our live stream. What is one simple step that you can take in the world, one action? And so I invite you to find your way back to the room. Take a nice deep breath, breathing in. Hand out. <sighs> I know sometimes after I do this, I feel like this is where I want to let the profanity out. <laughs> like, oh, I just had to do this thing and find the sacred and the profane. Here's all of the profanity. <laughs> But it's so worth it, isn't it? I, find, I found for myself that it's not just enough for me to say I love you in the world. To embrace love fully for me is an ongoing process that requires my entire being. It requires me to act in the world, to be in the world in ways that are constantly saying I love you. It requires me to recognize where I see parts of the world maybe a little bit more profane than I should. To honor the sacred with my love, to heal my profane thoughts, I have to open myself up to the possibility of living my life from a place of love rather than just talking about it. I have to consider every action that can bring more love into the world and then I have to take steps towards embracing and amplifying that which I know to be sacred. I'm certainly not perfect at this. <laughs> and that's okay because I don't really know anybody who does it perfectly. Boy, that gives me so much more permission to just be a mess sometimes. <laughs> there are a lot of days where all I can do, just it's just all I can do to keep my sanity amidst all of the endlessly profane things that I see in the world. But I have an opportunity in those moments to remind myself that I don't have to try and change the world. All I need to do is just take one full-bodied step for myself. Take one step at a time toward the sacred. Just one step after another. And I find that each step brings more light, more sacredness to that which I previously thought was profane. And so I hope you'll take those steps with me because here's a secret. It's a lot easier 
to take these steps toward the sacred with our friends. Shall we take that into prayer? All right, so how good it is to recognize the sacred, to know that that sacred divine one is everywhere, is the source of all that there is, this divine wholeness and peace and oneness and love. It is here now just as it is everywhere, and I know I am one with that, just as each and every person here in this sanctuary on our live stream and beyond, we are one with this divinity. We are that sacredness in human form. And so I call that sacredness forth, knowing that in the presence of this unconditional love that comes from sacredness, the idea of anything being profane simply slips away. I allow myself to take one step forward into the sacred, knowing knowing that any ideas that I have about things that I might think are profane, that there's just that, they're only ideas. And that the truth, the reality is that there is a divine sacredness that is at the center of everything around me, within me, in this world. And so I invite that sacredness to make its beauty known. I invite it to expand and to grow within each of our hearts knowing that as our own inner sacredness grows, so too does that make it so much easier for us to see the sacred in the world and to let go of any ideas of the profane. And so I am grateful for that. Grateful to know that this sacredness is here now. And with my gratitude, I release this word into the action of that law, that sacred law, that always says, yes, my beloveds, yes. And I invite us all to say together, and so it is.